0: Relevant content for our members, by our members. This is TMC Connect.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. This is Rich Swobinski with The Mortgage Collaborative here once again with the last week in mortgage today, our weekly walkthrough, all the latest news, happenings, conversation, all the latest going on in the mortgage industry. Uh, each week, I'm pleased to be joined by one of our lender members as my co-host. And this week, One of my favorite guys, one of the most active, engaged members, led so many sessions for us over the years, Uh, the vice president over operations for VIP Mortgage out of Scottsdale, Arizona, Mike Metz. Mike, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Rich. As always, no shortage of uh, things to discuss. Uh, But Mike, let's start with some headlines that caught the eye of some of our members this week and just others in the industry. was a uh, merger between a company by the name of Figure and then Homebridge Financial Services, which is big, big IMB out west coast, most of America, but you're know, like 20, 30 mm-hmm. billion a year. Uh, but basically merged with a blockchain firm, you know, kind of pledging to be the ones to bring blockchain technology to mortgage lending at scale. Uh, I think they operate through wholesale, through correspondent and retail. So, uh, just interesting news something to keep an eye on blockchain is something we've talked about just as a co-op for some years we've done some sessions on it had some general session speakers on it you know the general i think point of view amongst our members and the mortgage lending community has been the technology really makes sense with the mortgage lending industry and mortgage it lending does. transactions may take a while for it to get here you've been following any of this any thoughts on blockchain
0: and mortgage in general you know it's our industry has an interesting relationship with technology to start. I mean, we're still wet signing our social security authorizations because they prefer faxes, I guess. The flip side is blockchain has a lot of opportunity. So I am excited to see that some real world applications are starting on that. So I don't get into the whole Bitcoin, Ethereum, crypto stuff. I'm not quite savvy enough to talk on that, but the blockchain. That, I think, has some huge potential within our industry because, I mean, when you look at it just as itself, you have transparency, security, not getting hacked, and record keeping is just huge with that. So when you think of some of that stuff, recording offices could be revolutionized by this. Everyone could see when recordings happen and change that. MERS, the whole reason we use MERS is for that record keeping on who owns the mortgage, and this could take that. So it's Interesting to see that mortgage companies are really starting to dive into that. And I'll be really curious to see how that goes.
1: Yeah, it could eliminate some costs, some parts of the process for mortgage lenders. You just mentioned a couple of them. But yeah, to your first point, we still don't have e-closes in the mortgage industry. I think last week I said, if you would have said five years ago when we were saying, oh, e-closes, this is the year. 2016. (laughs) In 2021, we'd still be wet signing, closing documents. Uh, It would have been unfathomable. So that's why I think rightfully so a lot in the industry are like, hey, like, you know, tell me what I need to start looking at and thinking about and worrying about blockchain uh, (laughs) because history has shown uh, mortgage industry late to the game with tech.
0: Well, I think it'll be a push by the private parties on this side because there is lots of money to be made in this arena. And you see all the banks writing white papers on it now. The flip side is our regulators are behind. Um, The CFPB sent out a memo on Juneteenth like a week ago. So, you know, it's just it takes our industry some time to digest.
1: Uh, Moving on to uh, just the general, I think, rate and business climate. You know, I think concerns over the Delta variant and lingering pandemic flare up fears. uh, Mortgage rates have been low for these last couple months. Mm -hmm. 30 year fixed rates in the twos for the best credit borrowers. I think I saw something today that they dipped down again a little bit to the lowest levels they've been at really since like February. Refinance is making a comeback as a result. uh, You know, as we sit here now, uh, seven and a half months into the year much more refi than all the economists projected, not quite as much purchase because of some of the supply side issues. But I think the stat I saw was that in June, uh, the industry as a whole globally was more than 50% refi, uh, which was the first time since February that we've seen that. Um, Your thoughts just on the rate climate, uh, the refi activity you're seeing, what you think is still out there and how you think, you know, these last four and a half months of the year will play
0: out from just a purchase refi mix perspective. Some good topics in there and some good questions. My personal thought is that I think we're going to see rates stay pretty boring here for a bit and boring is good. I think you're going to have Delta continue to push pressure on the rates to bump down a bit. I think you're going to have some of the other economic news coming out wanting to bump up a bit and stick right around. You have the Fed starting to talk about easing up on their purchasing of those fixed securities, which could change things. My room just got dark on me, so a little bit more melodramatic as we talk about rates here. Um, It is going to be interesting to see how that ends up impacting refinances because already, like you mentioned, rates are so low and they've stayed low, that it makes sense for people to do the refinances. But I think now, compared to where we were kind of last year, is it's no longer a news item. So you don't have clients actively reaching out to your loan officers asking about refinancing unless they have that need. So I think you'll see more loan officers who have strong marketing campaigns that stay in front of their database. Those will be the ones that are going to see that increased refinance activity, and then the rest will just kind of still stay around where they're at. Purchases will be an interesting one because demand is going down a bit, but at the same time, it's so limited by supply right now. Last I saw is we're still predicted for seven months just to get to a balanced market that I honestly don't think the decrease demand matters at all yet. So it'll just be still plugging away at about the same volumes we've been.
1: And I don't know how it is. You guys are obviously in a bunch of, bunch of markets, but you know, at least here where I'm at in Cleveland in the Midwest, it, there is decreased demand, but it feels like dormant or suppressed demand just because maybe people that were sick of seeing maybe bid and didn't get three or four houses or, you know, hearing the stories about 30, 40 offers, homes going oh, yeah. for 20, 30K over listing that are on the sidelines right now, you know, kind of waiting to see like, hey, let's reassess things in the fall. Uh, but to your point, I don't think there's anything happening right now with the supply-demand continuum that's going to cause home prices to come down at all. And the question is, when do those sideline buyers come off the sidelines and onto the playing field?
0: I think you're going to have a few different people in different camps. I think there's some people who are waiting for this mythical like crash to come up and (laughs) to go down because they feel like that's going to be uh, the time to buy. I think they're going to be disappointed for a long time because most forecast see still show appreciation this year and next year. Now, next year may be more like 5%, but that's not the magical crash they're hoping so they can get the deal. Um, I do think you're going to have more of the people that stopped looking just because they are tired of, all right, I need to go 50 above the listing price and give up every contingency they'll start to get in. We've already kind of seen that in our market as it moves a little bit more towards balanced mm-hmm. average six days from listed to under contract to eight days, which is still stupid fast, but I think that'll encourage a few more people to get going, but I don't think you're going to see the supply increase anytime soon, unless the builders can't build any faster. They're still stuck with shortages. So unless you see these big institutions that have been buying all those rental properties for years, start letting off their portfolios, I don't think we're going to see a big change.
1: Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but saw a stat this week about just non-owner occupied houses in America, um, the percent that are owned by institutions. It's up. It's it crazy. It's like 18% more than five years ago, I think was the number I saw. So that's a big piece of it too, is you have a lot of homes that could be put onto the market that are maybe rentals right now or are owned for some other reason that are owned by companies and not individuals that could, you know, put them or not put them on the market in clumps as opposed to
0: one at a time, something else that is watching. So, well, I mean, permits are up 40% here in Phoenix at least, but you've still got a long runway before those homes are done. And it's not like builders are able to go fast right now because one, I know some builders are very okay just stretching it out because they get more appreciation then. And two, like I mentioned, you have labor shortages, as we saw with the numbers coming out this morning. And then you also have supply shortages. So they just can't get these homes built in two months.
1: You talked about, you know, buyers in the sideline waiting for the mythical crash, uh, likely not to happen. You know, I think another part of the, you know, kind of muted purchase activity Despite incredibly low rates and a climate in America where people want new homes, is just listing prices are too high. Um, you know, I think we saw the appreciation that happened in the spring. And I think the people that listed their homes at the right time were able to get a lot over asking. I think that led to a lot of people, maybe some that like, hey, I don't need to sell my home. But I will if I can get X for it, putting it out there for just a silly number. Um, but we've started to see some statistics also recently on list prices coming down. A lot of people reducing the list price of their home out on the market. Um, and that also could be a Kickstarter and a catalyst for purchase activity as we
0: get out of the summer and get into the fall. Now. I think so. We have seen it. I mean, as you go down in that seller's market demand curve, um, I've got a cool graph that I'm not allowed to show. Sorry, everybody. Uh, Licensing, go figure. It's interesting to see that as the seller market finally softens a little bit, the number of homes that are having to cancel listings because they were just flat out gouging. It's interesting because my neighbor is one of those where he listed it, did two price reductions and said, screw it, canceled it, waited strategically about a month and a half and now relisted again. And he was one of those who was just flat out trying to gouge the market. And I think as you see some of those finally approached what people think is like, okay, that's reasonable enough. I need to want to get out of my house. Now they'll pull the trigger on that.
1: This is the last week in mortgage today i'm rich swabinski with the mortgage collaborative this week joined by mike metz the vp over operations for vip mortgage out of scottsdale arizona mike moving back to the refi side of the house for a moment uh report that came out this week very interesting from adam data they put out a lot of data related releases and studies um fewer than five percent of homes in america remain underwater Uh, Don't have to go back too far. Six, seven, eight years ago, the remnants of the meltdown where uh, so many homebuyers were not only underwater, but heavily underwater, just walking away from homes that they had just bought. In some cases, homes they were building that they hadn't moved into, uh, you know, uh, Americans feeling like prisoners in their homes because of how underwater they are. And it seems almost unfathomable just, you know, 13 years after the meltdown, less than 5% of America now wow. underwater. And another interesting part of the study, 34% of homeowners in America are what's called equity rich. I thought i had heard every official mortgage term, but evidently you're equity rich if your loan to value is below 50. 34% of American homeowners with an
0: LTV under 50 that's kind of crazy. No, that is super crazy. Cause I think you get some generational trending in that. And, you know, some of the older generations where they actually stick in the homes for 10, 20 years is very different from some of the newer generations where it's, Oh, you stayed in that home for three years. Wow. You don't get some of those lower LTVs most of the time, but when you get some appreciation, like we've seen, I have, at least in our market, I know we saw like 28% appreciation from August to August, which just blew my mind. Well, that goes a hell of a long way towards a 50% LTV. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what people do with that. I think even as we saw the forbearance numbers coming out from like black Knight as they have been publishing those, it makes sense that those are low. If you've got that much equity, you're not going to want to even dip your toes in the water of losing that because I don't know if you're seeing other lenders with better clients, but they may be equity rich, but they are not uh, seeing it in their bank accounts yet.
1: <laughs> exactly, and you know another dynamic you could see emerge, especially if home values continue to appreciate or don't even level off, uh, is you know some of these existing homeowners um, that you know can't afford or don't want to pay for the next home up. Uh, we've seen you know all these in all these home appreciation studies luxury homes homes that higher are appreciating at a far greater level you know than even the two three four hundred thousand dollar homes across america so you could see a lot of these homeowners that at some point just say screw it i'm staying where i'm at and i'm adding a room onto my house or a wing um because uh you know you could take cash out at 2.8 percent uh you know get into a new mortgage or a home equity loan something like that so could really see maybe historically high levels of cash out refinance activity
0: uh, these next 12, 18 months going forward, potentially, no? I think so. And what's kind of surprising to me about that is now is the time where I would imagine if you were like a community bank or a credit union that you would just be raking in the HELOCs left and right because it's the perfect situation for so many of these people that just want to add on an extra bedroom or add on a gym that they won't use and then just take out their 30000 for it instead of doing a full cash-out refi. But instead, you seem to see almost the opposite. I see credit unions stopping their HELOCs or stopping no more standalones or restricting their CLTVs. And I saw you know Wells Fargo put out their thing that they're just stopping them entirely. So it's interesting to me that as they pull out of the market even more, I think that's going to create even more opportunity for the cash-out refis.
1: I think so. I think it also will create some opportunity for some really, uh, you know, entrepreneurial community banks and smaller credit unions that are a little bit lighter on their feet. Uh, As you noted, like the big banks, like, you know, they're thinking right now is like, you know, still memories of the mortgage meltdown. Like, oh, what if there's this huge correction. We don't want to be screwed again, Uh, you know, and start doing all these cash out refis to 80 or 90 percent homes that are underwater. Realistically. This is not 2007 to 2008. And realistically, little to no chance that that's going to happen. But the people making the decisions for those big banks almost have to uh, think a little bit different. So yeah, it could create a lot more cash out refinance activity. Um, it could also create a lot of opportunity for more nimble depository institutions that are willing to take a more common sense and make sense approach to HELOC and uh, you know standalone second lending.
0: Agreed. <clears throat> Some of those combos we're doing the first and the second, and I think we'll see an uptick in that as well.
1: Moving on, like the jobs number that came out last Friday was really through the roof. I think 943,000 jobs were added in July. And it's gotten to the point right, right now, like where, you know, certainly like stockholders. Know, are cheering for bad job numbers because if you own stock and the job number is good, like it was Friday, equities are tanking because they're what that the fear that the Fed's going to start to taper. So, right now, you essentially have mortgage bond and equity. Typically, they cheer opposite holders like cheering for bad news in the economy when it really comes down to it because. Any good news is perceived by the market and the action right after as Fed's going to taper, sell off. Uh, So uh, any thoughts on just the jobs number, its impact on interest rates and some of the things that we could see going forward
0: there? You had a lot of good points there. When I explained to friends and family how it works with rates, I explained that we're kind of like playing craps at the casino where we're gambling for the dark side. When we see Delta cases going up, you know, LOs are secretly cheering in the background because the rates are going down and they're getting a few more refis. So that was one of the rare times where you do get Wall Street's kind of on our side, gambling away. They want those job numbers not coming in as rosy. What I think is going to be interesting is, you know, ADP put out their numbers, and that conflicted with what we saw from the official jobs numbers, Then at the same time, we got the information that the actual jobs open right now was over 10 million, a record to the Bureau of Labor. So it's interesting that you get on Friday, you get this record numbers of new jobs being created. and like I think it was 281,000 retail positions alone, which is crazy. I don't know who all these shoppers are. And then the flip side is you have record numbers of job openings, which if you've been going to restaurants and hotels, you've seen as you wait 45 minutes for a beer. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes and how that progresses. I think that's where we're going to kind of see things float sideways for a bit. I did see the Fed make a comment about starting to ease back even as early as fall on some of those purchases, which will be a surprise. I think before everyone was worried about inflation, and now they're saying, okay, maybe the inflation's not super insane. Now it's kind of focused on those job markets.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we'll definitely bear watching. Jobs numbers always important for mortgage rates the mortgage industry. You've noted, you know, coming up as a cap markets guy, I many Friday mornings at 8.30 uh, and Thursday mornings at 8.30 jobless claims, you know, secretly, I you know, wasn't quite hedged uh, to the level I should have been, uh, you know, maybe cheering for a bad jobs number, but uh, now kind of the inverse and uh, one of many one of many interesting things uh, as a result of the pandemic. So, <clears throat> this is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarvinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. This week, joined by Mike Metz from VIP Mortgage as my co-host. Mike, uh, Freddie Mac made some news this week. Uh, a new single close renovation loan. Well, looks like it's somewhat limited, small renovation amounts, and some limits to it. But uh, is this anything that uh, you were able to digest or make sense of the
0: viability of? I started looking through it, and it does seem like in some ways they started approaching good, makes sense product towards it. There's some items that I would like to see different, but that's okay. What I'll be really interested to see is if people actually do this, because I think you've seen some previous attempts. VA did their EEM, and then you saw HomePath do their renovation product. And, of course, you've got the 203K And you do have these kind of cool products out there for renovations. And you would think right now, especially with such low inventory, you're getting the flippers who put the lipstick on a pig, but the house really needs some serious work that the home renovation loans are perfect for. And maybe there's some other lenders that do a much better job. You don't see anyone actually want to do them. The sellers don't want to deal with it. The lender doesn't want to deal with it. The buyers don't even want to deal with it. So... I'm hoping that it's kind of a trend that we'll see more accessible and actually easy to do loans that offer some of those renovation funds to those clients to do basic work to the property. If nothing else, I can quit doing so many darn escrow holdbacks.
1: It's such a good point. We hear the same thing from our members. All, you know, nonstop is that, uh, you know, the renovation programs through Fannie and Freddie, Uh, and others just you can't get it's almost nobody does any volume on them it seems you know especially now with fannie and freddie uh, you know moving back in the direction of becoming a utility uh you know for the american economy and the american housing finance system and all the pullback that we saw with trump and calabria kind of being reversed uh would be great and very hopeful Mm -hmm. that you will see some more viable renovation programs i've talked on this show before uh just fannie and freddie we um, were well down the path of creating a construction to permanent product um, that would have been like viable for independent mortgage banks and would have, you know, taken care of a lot of uh, parts of like the interest rate risk uh, part problem that you're right, that, that makes it tough for IMBs to do construction to permanent loans. It was, and I remember it was like, they were like, at the point where they were talking with us about it, which means, you know, they're far along because they're typically very guarded. And then the whole Mel Watt, like, you know, sexual scandal thing happened and he was on his way out and it just put it to the sideline and never made it anywhere would be really great. I think there's one thing that Fannie and Freddie could do um, to really be useful to the American housing finance system, uh, especially given how underbuilt we are What a big part of the process, construction, and renovation loans uh, could and should be for our industry would be to develop some sort of make sense product that they could put out there for lenders uh, that isn't you know irresponsible from a credit standpoint but that is viable from a you know sales standpoint
0: i agree completely we do some construction here at vip both two-time and one-time closes And there are still all kinds of quirky workarounds and Encompass. Maybe it's user error, but we've got some, thankfully, much smarter people than me that try to navigate through those waters, and there's still all kinds of goofy situations. So, you know, it's something where we're making progress, but it's still not an easy situation. I know there's a lot of lenders who don't have anything for that construction of perm, and whether it's two-time or one-time closes, and even just trying to get those kind of renovation loans. So... I do hope that there's going to be some good progress on the ease of access for construction lending coming soon. This is the
1: last week of mortgage today. I'm Rich Swabinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. i uh, got about five minutes left this week with Mike Metz of VIP Mortgage. Mike, the infrastructure bill is starting to uh, you know, make progress on the Senate floor. Still, obviously, very contentious uh, political debate just between Democrats and Republicans on you know, the size of it and how it gets paid for. Um, but um, it's getting close to, uh, you know, I guess the finish line um, and, you know, a note for our industry, unless you've heard something different, I haven't heard any news that the 10 basis point G fee hike has been taken out of there. Uh, MBA penned a letter and had a bunch of other organizations sign off on it. Um, 10 basis points in interest rate to every mortgage in America. I don't think people, even the 50-bit adverse market fee, that was just on refis. Um, yeah. I don't think people, I don't know people are just, they're so beaten down where they just, you know, but this was supposed to expire in September. And uh, this, if you look at the impact financially that this has on American homeowners, Um, It's really incredibly significant. This is money that could be used to pump back into the economy. Obviously, you got to get the money for this, you know, mega trillion dollar bill somewhere. But uh, just a little bit more surprise. There hasn't been more talk about this in
0: our industry and uh, your thoughts on the matter. Honestly, I feel like it's one of those things where people just forget about it. They're just so used to it by now. You know, our industry gets some odd things thrown our way and we just kind of, shrug it off and deal on, because what else are we going to do about it? So I feel like by this point, people have just said, all right, it is what it is, march on. But you're right, it is hundreds of dollars to the average homeowner every time they do a mortgage. From the Uncle Sam perspective, if they can uh, keep taking that money, and that's not money that people even realize they're losing to Uncle Sam, it's uh, basically a get out of jail free card on the political press of increasing taxes to whatever amount they agree on that infrastructure bill, which feels like spin the wheel on wheel of fortune at this point, whether it's $1 trillion or two or 300 million. So I think I would suspect that they're gonna find a way to leave that in. They're not gonna wanna give up that 10 bips. CBS or NBC or ABC is not gonna start talking 10 bips. So I think the politicians get their free money to do whatever projects they want. And we just have to price it in.
1: Yeah. Rob Krisman talks about it all the time. The mortgage, the dynamic you just spoke of, like the mortgage industry is just so used to just catching like left hooks and right jabs that, okay, what's, you know, we're nothing, what am I going to do about it? We'll just, we'll deal with it and move on. Uh, but it is kind of crazy to me. Like the government hates mortgage lending. They really do. It's that finance system for like one of the most critical components of the U S economy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, obviously there's some, I think tentacles to, you know, what happened in 07 and 08, but all those people are out of the industry. You have such a really compliant, um, you know, generally good-intended and well-running, with very low delinquency uh, mortgage housing finance system in America. And it would nice to it's maybe some, some acknowledgement of that, but maybe uh, I'm being naive. So, uh, moving back to construction lending um you know it's just you know we've been talking about it on this show every week it's we have a seriously underbuilt america uh, that something's gonna have to be done about uh, there was a new home builder survey that came out uh just earlier this week uh that really indicated some new trends uh, one is like this frenzy we saw for people to build new homes i talked about it on this show Last fall, last winter, I was looking at a new home. I was looking at a building. I saw the price, what it would have cost, essentially what it cost like $650,000 to build like a $500,000 house. Like, no thanks. Um, so, but people were paying it. That frenzy has subsided, but still solid demand. Um, fewer builders that are restricting sales, hitting price ceilings in more markets. Uh, your thoughts on just I guess the topic in general of home construction in America. Uh, You know, we have a dilemma where we need to build a lot of homes these next four or five years um, to avoid unintended consequences of undersupply. Um, Is this something that needs government intervention? Is this something the free market can can take care of itself? Can uh, your thoughts on just the the inventory and new build part of our of our industry?
0: That's a fantastic question. And I feel like we could do a whole session just on that one. I think one, you're going to have trends changing with that already. The problem is you need land to build those homes. And in a lot of markets, you just don't have that land. You're either one driving 45 minutes to get out there, which I think, you know, in 2019, people did not want those homes, Now with COVID, everyone's working remotely and people are saying, oh, well, if I can pay the same amount, I get double the size home if I'm willing to be 30 minutes out. Well, great. I'm not leaving my pajamas to go outside anyways. So I think you've got the builder demand way going up. So I think private market will handle some of that. And I think we'll continue to see permits increase, the builders go up as they continue to build further out. You know, Phoenix already takes two hours to drive across now just because we keep building out and out. And I think you're gonna see cities where they have that option continue to exercise that, and the builders will be more than glad to help with that. I do think we'll finally start to see more builders start to build vertically inside the cities, but that's gonna come with a whole bunch of other infrastructure questions. Um, Traffic already sucks, and we do not always do the best with mass transit. So I think that's gonna take some government intervention, because. The process to get that approved is Phoenix tried. We did the light rail, which unless you want a terrible experience at two o'clock in the morning where you're horrified, you're not gonna use. So cities are gonna have to figure out a way to fix that part of it in order to allow for the builders to accommodate more infill vertical building.
1: Great points and uh, Mike out of time, but uh, thank you so much for making the time out this week. Always enjoy talking about the industry with you and hearing your perspective on everything going on with with the mortgage industry. Thanks for having me, Rich. Appreciate it. And to our attendees, thanks for taking 30 minutes out with us. Uh, We're here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern with the last week in mortgage today. Uh, As always, we'll load this video to our YouTube page and uh, release it as a podcast where I know a lot of people watch and listen as well. So until next Tuesday, have a great rest of the week, everyone. Take care. See you then. Have a good one, everybody.